There's been lots of tattoo artists who have been up in court. There's been lots of tattooers who've been jailed. There's been tattoo artists involved in murders. Those that were tattooing can be broken into the two groups, the military yeah. background and the carnival background. So, you know, people think the guest spot is a new thing, a modern thing, but Joe Kilbride was doing that in 1906. So I've been lucky that way that I can actually see this stuff now and see what was happening a hundred years ago. My name is Steph Bastian. In my 10 years on the road, I've met many unique characters in the tattoo business, and they all have one thing in common, incredible stories. Stories of past times, personal growth, priceless experience, and of course, bizarre happenings. I want to share those stories with you. This is Tattoo Tales. First of all, thank you for making the time. This is very nice, very nice of you. And um, so, how did you get into this? How did you, how did you start this project, this, this mission? It's almost like a mission. Yeah. Well, I was a tattoo artist. I was a professional tattoo artist um, about 30 years ago. I had a shop. And when I was younger, when I was, you know, seven, eight years old, I was always interested in tattooing. But every tattoo that I've seen in my area had been done by Prince Vala or his son, Bert Vala or Terry Wrigley. They were big names in Scottish tattoo history. So Prince Valor operated in Glasgow from 1905 up to 1965. And then Terry Wrigley came along from 65 up to 1999. So they were both big names in my area. And uh, Prince Valor, I was very interested in his life and his background. I wanted to find out more about him. But he was very, but there was nothing written about him anywhere. And he was a major tattoo artist. He was a, you know, a pivotal tattoo artist. He was very much of that time of, you know, Burchett and O'Reilly and all these guys. But nothing was ever written about Vala. So I decided to try and find out as much myself as I could. So I started researching Vala about 1985. And I actually spoke to Bert Vala back then. That was Prince's son. And he was a tattoo artist as well but he wouldn't tell me anything about his father. He wasn't interested in tattooing anymore. He'd left it behind him. So I started out on my own uh, researching, finding out a lot more about them, how they ended up in Glasgow. Prince Valor was Irish. He was born over in Ireland in 1888, but he came to Scotland in 1905 and he tattooed for 40-odd years in Glasgow. So that impressed me. You know, and he had a, a dynasty as well. He, he taught his son to tattoo, and they were so famous. They were worldwide renowned. Any place that I've been in the world, you know, in Australia, New Zealand, America, people know of Prince Vala. They associate that name with Glasgow. So he was very, very well known, but there was nothing written about him anywhere. So I decided to research that myself. And uh, I've spent a, a lot of years, probably the last 16 years, quite seriously, you know, uh, researching the history. And once you start on one tattooist, it leads to another tattooist and then another tattooist. So 
it grew from looking at Prince Valor and Bert Valor, and it grew then to George Norton, Jack Gavitt, Ambrose Harvey, all these different tattoo artists who worked in Scotland. And then I couldn't draw a line at the border of England because so many English tattooists had came to Scotland to tattoo. So my research then went further down the country. Uh, by this time, I was you know, looking at tattoos in London and Portsmouth and Plymouth. And I then had to go to Ireland as well to research part of it too. So you know, when I started off with one tattooist, I've now got about 300 tattooists wow. on, a, on a list, you know, which goes back to, to 1880. This, that's so, the furthest you can kind of track down. Well, my interest is in electric tattooing from that period. So the very first tattoo artist that I can see in Glasgow uh, was 1891. It was a Japanese tattoo artist called Dengue Baba. Japanese? Japanese, yeah. Oh. He, was bo- he was born in Japan in 1850. And I don't know why Baba came to this country, but he tattooed in Glasgow and he tattooed in Belgium, and he tattooed in London, in Fulham in London. So he was the very first tattoo artist that I could find in the records, uh, 1891. And then looking at Scottish history, uh, the first place that I could find electric tattooing in Scotland was an American called John Williams. And Williams had worked on the development of the tattoo machine with O'Reilly. And he had got himself fully tattooed. He got his wife fully tattooed. And uh, they came to Great Britain in 1890. And they toured as part of, you know, a carnival circus type act. And he did live tattooing while she showed herself. And he exhibited as well. And they came to Glasgow in 1892. So I think that was the first ever instance of electric tattooing in Scotland and what you can see from that is you can then see that when that's been introduced to Scotland tattooing starts to appear in different places so it's almost as though when he's shown the machine and what it can do people have seen it adopted it embraced it they've seen its commercial uh, viability and uh, tattooing then begins to start to appear in different places in Scotland. So I think that was quite a key moment when he came here. I think it would have created quite a buzz. And then Tom Riley, the famous London tattoo artist, he appeared in Glasgow many times over the years. He came to Glasgow and he tattooed in the zoos, in the museums, uh, in the waxworks, all these kind of places. So there was obviously a demand for it in Glasgow because Riley was very well renowned in London, but he made trips to Glasgow on several occasions over a 10-year period and tattooed in all these places. And then Riley trained other people to tattoo, like Jim Wilson, and he sent them to Glasgow to tattoo under his name. So these guys were trained by him and sent out to tattoo using his name and lots of these guys appeared in Glasgow. So this was that first 10-year period from 1890 to 1900. It was mostly carnival performers and exhibition people that were tattooed in Glasgow at that time. And most of them came from different parts. They came from America and London and all these places. There was no real native 
electric tattooing in Scotland at that point. It's a very beautiful journey, I guess, for you as well as a personal quest. Thank you for preserving this. It requires a lot of passion and a lot of time. So thank you for, you know, taking that on yourself. And uh, it's a lot of, uh, I guess, detective work where you had to talk to people and, and track down perhaps uh, descendants or something. How do you proceed? How do you... Well, the obvious routes are the old newspaper clippings uh, and the records. If you look at the documents, the census, if you're searching on the census and you put in tattooist, you know, it might bring up a few results. You have to be a little bit extra clever. You have to then go back and try tattooer, tattoo artist, tattooing. You have to then go back and misspell all the words, you know, one T instead of two Ts. One O instead of two O's, that brings up great results because that's the way that they wrote it out. So you might be looking for a tattoo artist in the census and you can't find them. If you misspell it and try again, I, I did a lot of that. I did a lot of looking and searching. Uh, and what I did was I wrote everything down. I had everything in my head at one point. You know, everything was in my head, just swelling around. I thought I better write this down. So a couple of years ago, I wrote it all down and then I typed it out and I used Microsoft Excel and I put in the dates and the names and then I told it to AutoSort, you know, by date. Quite a little picture built up. It showed me, you know, where Valor was, where Norton was, where Joe Colbride was, where Ambrose Harvey was. It started to build up a picture. So I used that then and I then went on and looked at all the old newspapers and found clippings of them and, you know, bits and pieces of stories and stuff like that. And everything I found, I wrote it down, recorded it. And the same with the English ones. I decided to, to record the English history and just put it to the side, you know, in case somebody else wanted to use that in the future. I wasn't all that interested in English tattoo history. I felt that plenty of people had written about English tattoo history, but nobody had done Scottish. So on that journey, I was collecting stuff from Ireland, from England, from Wales, and I just kept that to the side. But now what I've been doing is I, I've been working a lot with Jimmy Scuse. Jimmy's gave me a lot of names that fill in a lot of little pieces that are missing. And Jimmy's got that obviously great resource. Yep. He can look at look into stuff quickly. He's great that way that he'll reply to you quickly and fill in another little piece of the jigsaw. So you need people like that out there to, to reach out to. And that's why I did the English stuff. I, I thought, well, I better record this. I better write this down because somebody is going to want this at some point. It might not be me, but I thought I better do it. So as I say, it's now grew to over 300 tattoo artists from 1890. Wow. And it's, it's quite a list. It's amazing the amount of tattoo artists that worked in Britain, uh, you know, in, in the last 120 years. Especially over the, the border and stuff. Lines sometimes blurred one into the other one. So you have, same thing as history, population, the history of language, empire. You have this crossover between, especially the borderline, between countries and cultures. So you have, I guess, like you say, you have to going to Ireland, northern of England, and then mutual exchanges, right? Yeah, yeah. There's no defined border when you're looking at this. These tattoos, a lot of them, if you look at the roots into tattooing, you can understand it better. There was two sort of avenues to come into tattooing at that time. 
So there's a well-defined path of tattoos coming from the military, from the Boer War. So you can see when the Boer War starts in 1899 and it finishes in 1901, tattoos were tattooing in South Africa. Tom Riley was there, William Mansford was there, Ambrose Harvey. There was lots of tattooists working back there. Harry Battelle, uh, Sutherland MacDonald tattooed in the first um, Boer War. So I think lots of tattooists that were tattooed in the Boer War came back home. And after 1901, there's quite a boom of tattooists. So you might have 10 professional tattooists before then, but after the Boer War finishes, there's 20 or 30 in Britain. And I suppose the availability of the machines, uh, the electric machine helped as well. But I think a lot of people from that military background who were down in South Africa at that time, seen tattooing and maybe wanted to take it up when they came back home. The other route into tattooing was obviously the carnivals, the circus, that side. And there's, there's a lot of big tattoo families, the Valors, they came from show business. Professor George Norton, very, very famous British tattoo artist. He came from the circus as well. Uh, Joe Colbride, he was a journeyman tattooist, a 50-year career. Uh, he was involved in show business. Charlie Bell, another pivotal tattoo artist, again from a showbiz background. WHC Ryan, Ted Frisco, Billy Thomas was another carnival tattoo artist who travelled all over the country. And Thomas came to Dundee and tattooed in Dundee. And that was a that was a, a well-worn route for all these tattoos. They all travelled around this circuit of waxworks museums, circuses, and they would spend four or five weeks in each place and then move on. So they were showbiz guys uh, that come into it, and you can see that they're all connected. They've all appeared at the same time together. Lots of them had tattooed wives. So they had their wives there with them who exhibited, and the tattoo artist tattooed after she had, you know, on our show. So that's the two kind of roots that I can find into tattooing. And uh, you can see how, it's, how it branches out. In the 1900s, it takes a big jump. And then it falls away again after the First World War. Quite a few of the tattooists I mentioned, quite a few of them were killed in the First World War. So there's a few guys missing after the war is over. And it takes a little lull just after the war and then it starts to build up again and build up again, you know. And I think the, the, the most tattoos that I can see back then is about 40 or 45 tattoos in Britain at that period that are actually calling themselves tattooists. So you can see that, you know, there wasn't a lot of tattooists around at that time, but uh, those that were tattooing can be broken into the two groups, the military wow. background and the carnival background. Wow. And uh, how did Scottish tattooing evolve after that time period? Well, one thing that caught my eye when I was looking at the, the sort of timeline, you can see there's quite a few tattooists in the first 15 years of the 1900s. So I think we've got about seven tattooists in Scotland at that point. You know, uh, Prince Father being the biggest and best known one. And then you've got George Norton. Norton was a big player. He was a big name. He had worked with Riley, and he had also represented Riley in Scotland. 
So Norton went on to have a 50-year career. He spent about 25 years in Scotland. So he's there at the start of that century. Valor's there. Ambrose Harvey is there as well. Uh, Billy Thomas is there. There's another guy who is, again, he's been overlooked. So we've got a guy in Aberdeen called Joe Kitteridge. Now, Kitteridge was from London, from Woolwich, and he tattooed in George Burchett's old shop, 438 Mile End Road in London. So Kitteridge started tattooing in 1903, but by 1906, he had came to Scotland and he tattooed in Aberdeen. So he's in Aberdeen, Norton's in Dundee, Valor's in Glasgow, and in Edinburgh, we had a tattooist called William McKinley. So there only is about six or seven tattooists tattooing in Scotland at that time. And there's probably 20 to 25 tattooing in England at that time. And that's all that I can see in the records. There's about 30 tattooists at that point. And I think that was one of its busiest periods because mixed in amongst all that, You've got the, the carnivals and the waxworks, the museums, the variety circuit. But that circuit completely fell away when the First World War came on. First of all, the war you know, interrupted everything. It stopped entertainment. Cinema had taken over from variety. So a lot of people started going to the cinema instead of attending these carnivals and waxworks. That was you know, unfashionable now. So a lot of the tattoo artists fell away. It was only the tattooists that had shops that endured. So half of the tattooists faded, you know, disappeared. They never tattooed again. But the ones that had shops, they were the ones that stayed and uh, carried on. So you, you can see that after the war, it's halved at least. If there is such a thing, can you see some sort of difference in, in between the areas of Scotland of how tattoo evolved or not really? You know, like well, a certain style specific to a certain area or because I guess, you know, isolation was a bit more pronounced than now. So most likely some areas might develop their own their own style. Is there such a thing? Well, one thing I did notice was Billy McKinley, who tattooed in Edinburgh, his designs were all geared towards America. Everything that he had, you know, with American flags and stuff like that, so it was very much geared towards the American market. And I wondered why. And uh, one of his relations told me that there was so many American ships that came into Edinburgh, into the docks, that he totally catered for that market. They loved tattooing, and they came to him to be tattooed. So that's why so much of his stuff is American. Uh, Prince Valor had a very unique style, instantly recognisable. You know, I can, I, I can see a Valor tattoo and I can spot it, you know, 20 feet away. I, I can just look at it. He had a single needle style. He drew all his own designs. So he had a very unique style of tattooing. And that's what everybody loved about him, was his great detail and his artistic skill. The other guys who tattooed here, I don't know that much about their styles because it's so far back that a lot of the, the flash, you know, is obviously gone and lost. But there was a guy in Aberdeen, uh, he tattooed in Dundee and he tattooed in Edinburgh and he tattooed in Aberdeen, a guy called Charles Smith. And his flash, I've actually got some of it. 
is absolutely fantastic. You need to see this. It's probably some of the best drawn flash that I've seen. And uh, his family uh, have been very helpful to me when I've been researching. And that's what you need. You need the relations to fill in the little parts, to show you the flash, to show you the business cards. So I've been lucky that way that I can actually see this stuff now and see what was happening 100 years ago uh, in Scotland. It's like time traveling, really, huh? It's really, it really is. Uh, it's great to see somebody's personal uh, collection of their father or grandfather. You need that when you're researching. It's okay having the records. It's okay having the newspaper clippings. But you need the family on board to give you, you know, a better idea of what was going on. Because other than that, you know, it makes it more personal. You find out a lot more. And I've been lucky. I've, I've been helped by Joe Colbride's family, uh, by Prince Fowler's family by George Norton's family. So I've been lucky that I can speak to these people and pick up that little uh, extra piece of information, things you wouldn't know. You know, and that's that's important when you're researching. You, you need to speak to the family because they're going to pull out something you'll never find. Especially like a, an anecdote or, you know, something that only they know, like you say. Yes, that's right. It's more personal. They'll remember little things. I spoke to Prince Fowler's daughter one time. She's dead now. And she remembers as being a small girl and she had to embroider silk handkerchiefs. You know, hundreds of them. She had to embroider PV, you know, for Prince Fowler. He must have gave these away to his clients. But that's what she remembers, you know, about her father. Just little things like that you wouldn't know. So you need the family on, on board when you're researched, definitely. And it's beautiful because you make as well for your own personal journey, you make beautiful connections. And That's it. I mean, I mean, there has been instances where people are not interested in the relations tattoo past. They don't want to discuss it. They're embarrassed by it. That's happened to me when I've, I've approached people, I've written to them and said, look, you know, your grandfather was a famous tattoo artist and I'm, I'm trying to write a small biography on him just to put a place marker of his time in tattooing. And I always explain to them, there's no money involved in this. This is just me doing this. And I just want to mark his contribution to tattooing. And some people will write back to you and say, do not do that. You know, I don't want him. He told me he was a commercial artist. These guys sometimes have a past they don't want you to know about. And uh, I always tell people, I'm not writing anything personal. I'm only writing about their tattoo career. And it's it's quite amazing, but there's been a few people uh, have said, you know, don't do it, don't write about them. And uh, in your research, uh, can you think about a discovery or a moment or something that you found out, either because of the scope of the discovery or because, you know, the way you got to it or because it had something particular to it, something that, that stuck with you? Well, every subject that I have researched every tattooist have got fascinating backstories uh, some of them I, I couldn't actually publish there's so many things going on behind the scenes you know they've got three wives they've never been divorced they've got nine children there's been lots of tattoo artists who have been up in court there's been lots of tattooists who've been jailed there's been tattoo artists involved in murders so there's been a lot of personal stuff that I have found out 
but I've never published that stuff. I've kept that stuff away. But for me, when I'm when I'm researching somebody, the best part is when you have the information, when you've got the basic information. The best part for me is when you speak to the family and they get on board, you'll find out more things from the family than you could ever find out. So that's the best part, when you speak to them and tell them how important their relation was to tattooing. Some of them don't know. Some of them never knew their, their, their great-grandfather. So once they get on board, you get little things like handwritten letters and stuff like that that you would never see and uh, I, I've been privileged to see a lot of good things like that. And I've really enjoyed putting these stories together. Uh, like Joe Kilbride, as I said, uh, Kilbride was a very famous tattoo artist. And he started tattooing uh, about 1885. And he tattooed right through to the 40s. And I was lucky enough to get in contact with his family uh, out in Australia. And they were fantastic. The things that they gave me and showed me Nobody ever seen this stuff. It was all, you know, personal photographs, you know, handwritten letters, postcards. The same with George Norton. I was very lucky to get in contact with Norton's family. And uh, I've had a lot of personal things from them, a lot of little insights from them. So that's been the most rewarding thing for me is it's okay finding out the, the basics. But when you get the personal stuff and the life story behind it, uh, that's the most rewarding. You know, you get more of a kind of personal picture of the tattoo artist. Have you found uh, lines of connection between tattooers? Yes. That, that through friendships that they would exchange correspondence and influence each other? Well, you can see that there's a connection, especially with the showmen. So the people that came from the carnival background, they all work together at some point. They all meet each other at some point. So we don't know if there's rivalry between them, if they hate each other, but you can see they're in the same town at the same time or they're appearing at the same show. So that's the only part that's missing for me just now. I would like to know what the relationship between each guy was. But the only people in Scotland that I can link together, well, there's three people in Scotland that I know were together. Jack Gabbett, Professor George Norton and Joe Kitteridge. Now, as I said earlier on, Kitteridge is a very underrated guy in tattoo history. He must have had a great connection with Burchett. He must have had some connection with him because as soon as Burchett leaves his shop at 438 Mile End Road and moves to Waterloo Road, Joe Kilbride moves right into his shop and starts tattooing from there. He must have done it with Burchett's blessing. You know, there must have been some connection. He starts off there and then he moves to Aberdeen. And once he gets to Aberdeen in 1906, he invites George Norton up to Aberdeen to tattoo with him as a guest spot for two weeks. So, you know, people think the guest spot is a new thing, a modern thing. But Joe Kilbride was doing that in 1906. And Norton, who was tattooing on behalf of Tom Riley, he accepted, went to Aberdeen, done the guest spot, returned the next year, and the two of them went to the Shetland Islands, you know, which is you know, the very furthest north you can go in Scotland. And they tattooed together in the Shetland Islands. So we know there's a connection. We know there's a, there's a friendship between Joe Kitteridge and George Norton. And Jack Gavitt, who went on to work in America, in San Diego, Gavitt tattooed in Glasgow. And he tattooed for George Norton. Norton tattooed in Glasgow. He had a shop in Argyll Street 
55 Argyll Street. And Gavitt worked with him and learned how to tattoo from Norton. And they lived together in Glasgow, the two of them. Norton taught tattooing as well. You know, he would do a course in tattooing. He would sell you the equipment. So again, you know, there's nothing new now. That, you know, everyone's selling equipment now. But yeah. he, did, he did it back then. Uh, so he was quite a forward-thinking guy, George Norton, I think. You know, he, he, he knew there was an interest in tattooing. And as I say, he sold machines, he sold batteries, he sold inks, he sold everything, you know. So there is that wee connection with A3 that I know of. I don't know if they had any interaction with Prince Fowler, but all these tattoos, these kind of seven or eight guys who were tattooing at that time, were all in different cities. There was nobody really on top of anybody else. There was that, you know, 50 to 100 mile radius between them all. So there was plenty of room for them all. There was no need for, you know, two to work in one city. Valor was the only guy working in Glasgow at that time. Kittredge was in Aberdeen. George Norton was in Dundee. And Charlie Smith was over in Edinburgh. So there was plenty of room. It's crazy thinking about that today, you know, one tattoo per city. (laughs) Well, that was the way it was. I mean, in London, if you look at London in the 1900s, I think there was about... 10 tattoos working in London. I remember reading about George Burchett when Burchett opened his shop in Waterloo Road. He got his windows smashed by local tattooists. So I'm not too good on London geography, but I know there was quite a few tattoos down in London. But in Glasgow, it was totally different. So in London, you've got 10 guys working, you know, in the city, all different places. But in Glasgow, Valor was on his own. And, you know, Kittredge had Aberdeen. So they had that breathing space. So I like to think they all got on well. But as I say, I can only make the connection between the three tattooists. Yeah. And uh, I guess you you see sometimes or you have seen here and there some old tattoos on some old people that you might still reconnect. And then they tell you the stories. They, they're happy as well to share, I guess, right? Yes. Well, when I was tattooing in my shop, Lots of old guys would come in with Prince Valor tattoos. So I had a camera back then, a reasonable camera, and I would take photographs of them. And I would ask them little bits of information. What do you know about this guy, Prince Valor? You know, can you tell me anything? But people's, people remembering back, you know, 30 years, they would sometimes give you false information. You know, they would tell you something else, you know, something that was not true or whatever, you know. So that's why I decided to check it out for myself. But I was lucky back then because this was in the 80s and I was photographing tattoos that were actually done by Prince Valor. So these were done 30, 40 years before. Now, nobody has a tattoo by Prince Valor. Nobody alive because he died in 1947. I was lucky back then to photograph his actual tattoos then. So that's the oldest record that I have of any tattooing, is people that came to my shop then uh, in the 80s, and I could take a picture of it. So I've still got the pictures. I've got four or five of Prince Fowler's actual tattoos that were done back in the 30s and 40s. So that's the oldest ones that I have. I have lots of Bert Fowler's tattoos. Uh, there's still people, my father has got tattoos by Bert Valor. So there's still people going about just now with Bert Valor's work. But the other guys that I mentioned, Joe Kitteridge, George Norton, I've only got one photograph of George Norton's tattoos. 
So lots of that stuff has been lost. You know, so I was I was glad in the eighties that I, I had a decent camera and that I could photograph that and, and preserve that. Nice. And uh, where did you go from tattooing from there in Scotland after in the second uh, fifty years, in the second half of nineteen hundred, like sixties, seventies, eighties? When I was tattooing in the eighties, there was fifteen shops in the whole of Scotland. This was before the big boom of the 1990s and onwards. So there was 15 shops in Scotland at that point. Ten years previous to that, there was only four shops in Scotland. And then back in the 60s, there was only three shops. So that tells you how it went. It was on its knees in the 1960s. And Bert Valor, who'd been tattooing you know, for 30 years at that point, he gave up. So I don't think it was all that popular in the 1960s. I think it was falling away, but it took a wee jump in the 70s, another jump in the 80s, and then in the 90s, obviously, it exploded. So I think it's enjoyed periods of popularity. But I think in the 60s, it was really dying away. Even the you know, 1970s, there was, I think, four tattoo shops here. But in the 80s, uh, when I started tattooing, when I opened my shop, the AIDS thing just came along at that time. It was very, very quiet. You know, business was was slow. I think for everybody, not just me. I mean, I, I found it hard to make a living from tattooing, tattooing full time at a shop. Couldn't see the benefit of being there six days a week and, you know, and doing 30 tattoos a week. It just wasn't worth it. So uh, I, I left tattooing in 19... 88, and I became a sign writer, and I've been a sign writer now for over 30 years. I've always kept in contact with tattooists. You know, I always correspond with people and, and drop in and see guys, you know, so yeah, I've always kept my interest in tattooing. Are you in contact with, uh, with other people that are doing kind of like what you're doing, but yes. in other countries? Yes. The first person that I ever got in contact with was Chuck Eldridge of the Tattoo Archive. It was the first thing I'd ever seen of tattoo history in one place. That was my go-to place. I would look at that constantly. I would read that. And I thought, I've got to do the same thing for Scotland. So that's what got me going. I kind of followed his concept. You know, I wrote little short bios of every tattooist. And then as the internet grew and got bigger, you reach out to people. I'm in contact for all my London uh, history, I contact Lal Hardy. Lal's got, obviously, a big reach. He can speak to people, ask questions. So Lal's been very good at putting me in touch with other people who do the same thing, like Matt Lauder, Dr. Lauder, uh, Jimmy Scuse, Rambo, Ian Thompson, Dave T. Taylor. There's lots of guys out there. And then in America... Uh, Carmen Nyson is obviously a buzzworthy tattoo. I go to Carmen quite a lot and ask her, you know, advice, how to find something out. And she's been there already. It's great to have these people because if you're stuck on something, if you reach a dead end, you reach out and you ask Matt Lauder, you know, do you know anything about this? He can put his finger on it immediately and help you, you know, get past that stumbling block. So you need to make contact with these guys. You've got to reach out to them. And you have to do the same for them. If they ask you something, 
you have to respond pretty quickly. You need all these guys, Jimmy Skews. You need these guys to to reach out to, you know, because otherwise you would never get anywhere. You know, it's a beautiful connection that you have sharing this common passion, you know, with, across borders, right? Yes. And yes. And um, is there any specific thing that you're focusing on at the moment? At the moment, I'm working on uh, Jobs Bigmore. He's a London tattoo artist. Bigmore is a big name in tattooing, but it's not just confined to his tattooing. There was other Bigmores, uh, and lots of historians believe that they were relations of George Bigmores, but we can't make that connection yet. We don't know what the connection is. I'm really studying his family tree just now and writing it out and making sure that you know I've got him. He is the actual tattooist. I've got his son tattooing, so I can make the link there. But the other Big Moors who are dotted around, we can't make that connection yet. But I think Big Moor is, uh, has been largely ignored in tattoo history because his stuff is so hard to find out about. So I'm working on that just now. I'm also working on uh, another tattooist called Alexander Gordon, who was a London tattoo artist. And it's quite an interesting story. I've just finished uh, about six weeks worth of work on one tattooist, and he was a, a black tattooist who came from Jamaica. Wow. And uh, he tattooed in Blackpool, and his name was Prince Eugene. And he What called time are you him, talking about? We're talking about 1958 to 1972. Oh, right. So uh, he, was a, he was a very, very interesting character uh, to research. Again, I couldn't find anything about him, nothing. Nobody knew anything about him. And I was so lucky. I actually managed to track down his partner. And she tattooed with him for 13 years. And she's still living. And he's still living, but he won't talk about tattooing. But uh, the story of how he got to this country and how he tattooed in Blackpool, he put up with a lot. You know, he was the first black guy in Blackpool. At the time, put, yeah. At the time, yeah, he put up with a lot. He was a very, very successful tattoo artist. He had three tattoo shops in Blackpool back then. And uh, Terry Wrigley, who is world famous, well, Terry Wrigley worked for Prince Eugene back then. The father and, of uh, Stephen Riley, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I that that was a an amazing story. I enjoyed speaking to this lady called uh, Dorothy Haywood. She's absolutely fantastic lady, seventy eight years old, and she was a professional tattooist for thirteen years. And uh, she's as sharp as a button, you're sharp as a tack. And uh, she told this amazing tale of their life together, uh, and they, they overcame a lot. And it's a great story. That's beautiful. Because as we said, you know, it's, it goes beyond tattooing. Is tattooing as part of a very interesting journey, which is their life, especially yeah. at that time with everything they had to put with. Um, Terry, where people can find you? How can they support you? If somebody that listened to this has info they might think might help you, how can they reach out to you? Well, I have a website. First of all, the website is www.princevalor.co.uk. That's my main website where all my Scottish history is stored. And you can go on there and read about some of these tattoos I've been speaking about. I've got a little piece on each of them. Got some photographs of Prince Valor's work, Bert Valor's work. 
uh, a little biography on Terry Wrigley as well. Uh, very interesting character. And lots of other Scottish tattooists. And also I have a Facebook page, Scottish Tattooing History. And I also have an Instagram page, Scottish Tattoo History. And that's where they contact you as well if you... Yeah, if somebody yep. has some something to share, even or pictures or whatever they they think it might help you. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome, Terry. This was was terrific. Your memory is insane. <laughs> <laughs> so much worth of information in uh, in forty five minutes. It's incredible. Thank you so much for sharing. Yeah. No bother. Hopefully one day I'm gonna meet you and we get a drink. I used to live in Edinburgh. Yes. We uh, I lived there for a year. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Next time round. Terry, thank you very much. Okay, Steph. Good man. Enjoy your afternoon. Okay, cheers.